This is Southern Discomfort. Local news reporting in the United States is at an inflection point. Over the last few decades, thousands of newspapers have closed their doors due to financial ruin or sold to private equity firms with little regard for the communities that they serve. The result is a proliferation of local news deserts that leave residents, often in isolated and economically disadvantaged areas, with no credible sources of information and no oversight over the actions of their state and local governments and corporations. The coronavirus pandemic exacerbated the crisis. Journalists, the people who risked their lives to report on COVID-19, continued to take the brunt of the impact. The New York Times reported in May that roughly 36,000 workers at news companies in the U.S. were laid off, furloughed, or sustained pay cuts as a result of the pandemic. Many of those fortunate enough to retain their jobs suffer from stagnant wages, long working hours, and lack of autonomy. In a recent report about the decline of local news reporting, Penelope Muse Abernathy writes that, all of this raises anew fears of an extinction-level event that destroys many of the survivors and newcomers and leads to the collapse of the country's local news ecosystem. We don't know what the future holds for journalism, but one thing is clear. The last few years have seen an uptick in the number of media workers taking collective action and fighting back. Journalists are forming labor unions at publications like BuzzFeed, Vice, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the New Yorker to win better pay and to regain control over their workplaces and their professions. This recent wave of labor organizing has not just overtaken national websites and legacy publications. Journalists at small local newspapers like the Hartford Courant and the Virginian Pilot are banding together too. Amidst the coronavirus pandemic, the Roanoke Times in Virginia became the latest newspaper in the South to form a labor union when workers voted 47-3 to 3 in April to join the newspaper guild Communications Workers of America. Shortly after the Roanoke Times unionized, the paper's parent company, Lee Enterprises, announced plans to eliminate the copy desk and move the design department out to the Midwest later this fall. The decision would result in the elimination of 10 workers. That's one-fifth of the newsroom. Joining me now to discuss the union campaign at the Roanoke Times and its implications for media workers throughout the South and the future of local news reporting is Tanya Motsley. She is a 20-year veteran reporter at the Roanoke Times and the chair of the Timesland News Guild. How long have you worked at the Roanoke Times? And talk about the important role that the newspaper has played and continues to play in the lives of people living in southwestern Virginia. I've been at the Roanoke Times for just over 20 years. I uh, started in 2000. My tenure has coincided with um, with a radical decline in the role that the, the paper plays in Southwest Virginia. For much of the modern era, the Roanoke Times was a 
major daily paper covering most of Southwest Virginia from Roanoke West, South and West, and even going up into West Virginia some sometimes for things like coal strikes and so forth. Uh, the paper was three times a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, I think in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so we had a heavy hitting investigative staff as well as a robust daily reporting staff. We had a wonderful, by the, when I came on, we still had a, a sort of apprenticeship program where new reporters would come in and as editorial assistants, and they would do all kinds of things like go to the courthouse and look up search warrants and births and deaths and real estate transfers and just get the lay of the land. And then when you were lucky and nobody else was in the office, you would grab a, a great breaking story as it came in and you would start to work your way up and you'd do more and more complex stories than you'd move into usually local government beats, and then you just work your way up to specialized beats and with hopes one day of being one of those heavy hitters. Um, and we were known across the country as having some of the better investigative reporters working at the time. So I came in right as that was beginning to tail off and those people were beginning to leave either to retire like Mary Bishop, who'd been in the biz for 30 years already by that time and was responsible for one of those Pulitzer finalist series. Um, and Michael Hudson, who's gone on to a career at AP and and then um, to the International um, Committee for Investigative Journalists. He was integral in the, the Panama Papers and was part of group Pulitzer Prize. I mean, we had some really great people here and the great Beth Macy of Dopesick, um, fame uh, covering the opioid crisis in the country and becoming a major voice in that. So we've gone from that and having probably 120-ish uh, news staff alone and a total employee um, count of about 500 at the Roanoke Times to fewer than 50 journalists and probably less than 100 total staff at the Runner Times. So the contraction over 20 years has been devastating, really, uh, to what we're able to do in the region. And uh, readers have noticed our readership has dropped from a high at my start of about 100,000, one of the best read papers in the country, according to Scarborough, which was a research firm we used to use to rank our performance, to about 30,000 today for lucky uh, and digital subscriptions have not made up for that so it's a sad trend and that's one of the reasons that we decided to unionize is we want to at least hold the line and if we can help the company rebuild to some extent about a decade ago Berkshire Hathaway the company founded by the billionaire investor Warren Buffett purchased dozens of newspapers across the country including many located in the south like the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and my hometown newspaper, the Winston-Salem Journal. At the time, I heard from journalists who hoped that it would be a new day under Buffett, and that his company would pump money into strengthening local news outlets and creating new positions. Sadly, that never materialized. How did things change for you and your co-workers at the Roanoke Times after BH Media assumed control? My assessment of it just from my own perspective personally, is that we, we were on the way. We, we had crested the hill and were on the way down. 
by the time BH bought us Landmark Communications, which had been a family, uh, a private family company out of Norfolk, who owned the Greensboro News and Record and the Virginian Pilot, which was is the is still, I think, the flagship newspaper of Virginia, and the Roanoke Times, and uh, Frank Batten Sr., who ran the company for decades uh, and was committed to journalism. Uh, when he stepped away from day-to-day leadership of the company, there was no longer that really strong voice for the public service mission of the business, although he definitely wanted to make profit. And by that time, we were seeing an erosion of profits that came first with the collapse of classified advertising um, when Craigslist came online or about that time. And um, and also the Internet freaked everybody out. And so we, our business leadership, like business, business um, offices and newspapers across the country were struggling with how do we deal with the Internet? What is the best way to engage with it with an eye to not draining the print profits to do so, and then, but hopefully building enough of an infrastructure to be able to make it profitable as a digital enterprise in the future. And like most newspapers across the country, we made the wrong decision. And that was, in my view, to give away our content for free. And that, I think, has led to readers seeing us as equivalent to Joe Blogger blogging away from wherever and every other kind of of content you can find on the web. We kind of put ourselves on a level playing field with it. And so people didn't see so much of a difference between professional reporting and just commentary or non-professional posting of material. And I think that is part of the erosion. Um, and we, have, we still give away quite a bit of our content. We have a paywall, but we still give it away through social media and so forth. And, and I think that hastened our demise. But Facebook and Google also, as you know, no doubt, have sucked up all the digital advertising revenue of substance you know, on, on every internet platform. And so that it's very difficult for newspapers that are very localized to compete with that reach and their the targeting of ads they can do with their artificial intelligence. Um, newspapers just don't have that infrastructure. So we're suffering, I think, for all those reasons. So I, I wouldn't lay it all on Buffett. And I think BH came in hoping they could make some change. At least I want to believe the best of them. And so I, I will believe that, that they came in with great intentions. They certainly, when they came in, our hopes were bolstered because we'd seen a de-investment of our paper by Landmark because they wanted out of the newspaper business. They did not see a future in it, and they wanted to shed the company and ended up doing so for much less than they hoped to get for it, I, be- I think. But we were so happy because here we had this great investor who was going to save American newspapers, as you said, and uh, the Oracle of Omaha uh, taking an interest in us. Uh, made us hope that uh, we could rebuild and uh, remain a really good newspaper. But I think they they suffered from some of the same lack of business vision. They did very little to build a digital infrastructure that would draw a new generation of readers. They instead used pretty cheap, centralized, standardized software to run all their online newspapers. And that's pretty much what was and still is, is an online newspaper. It's not a digital news operation. And even if they had created a digital news operation 
I'm still not sure that the business plan is there to profit from that. All that to say, I don't blame BH Media necessarily for the dwindling fortunes of the run of times, uh, but I do hold them responsible for not trying to invest in better delivery. Delivery of the print product became nearly impossible, um, and they did very little to make it worth the while of you know the regular delivery people to even get the papers out on time, and so subscribers would renew. Um, we had lots of complaints. Customer service was transferred to um, some faraway call center, and oftentimes complaints didn't get routed back to us, and so we didn't address problems. So in trying to standardize and cut costs, they really destroyed customer service, which I've come to believe is the main currency of a local newspaper is customer service. Um, so that went away and subscribers went away. So BH then decided that, well, its its model wasn't going to work. So they wanted to shed the company. And so they sold us on March 17th to Lee Enterprises out of Iowa. And and they are known for cost cutting and, and, and have taken a similar line so far as BH, which is centralized, cut people, and now they're starting to cut print days. But we don't see a whole lot of them building up something new to replace the print that they're taking away. That is my biggest concern. What precipitated the formation of the union in the first place? What really galvanized the newsroom was the younger reporters who came in to our paper wanting to have an industry that and, and a newspaper where they would have a future. So they started the process. They started working with um, the News Guild, CWA, um, and on, on trying to organize the paper. And it was a very painstaking process. I think it maybe started with two or three people um, in our newsroom, all under 30. <laughs> Uh, hopeful and but realistic, but wanting to actually do something. And they fanned out and started talking one-on-one -on -one with every other staff member. We have about 53 people in the news department now total. And it was many months, uh, a few months after they got started, uh, they circled around to me and pitched the idea to me. And I got really excited and inspired by it. And so I jumped in with both feet feeling a responsibility to, at least I got to start out in, at the paper when we had a lot more resources, when we were able to carry out the public service mission um, and do so at a living wage and with some security. And I really wanted to get back to a newspaper that uh, could offer them the same thing. I want them to be able to have a career in this industry because they feel called to it. And so I felt like as a person nearing 50, that it was my responsibility to try to leave things a little better than they are right now. How was the idea of a union campaign met by other veteran journalists? <laughs> Skepticism and apathy born out of hurt and disappointment, I think I would say, and, and most of them would agree. A lot of us who have hung on, uh, who are in our 40s and early 50s, and know what the newspaper used to be, 
was it was very hard for some of them to move past that sort of well I just don't know that there's anything that can be done and is it worth all the work it would take to even try because as you described everybody had these really high hopes for Warren Buffett coming in and figuring out a business plan to carry us forward uh, and that didn't happen and seeing cuts after cuts and and comrades leaving and going to PR and so forth um, see the newspaper get smaller and smaller and being able to do less and less we were hanging on but a lot of us started putting our heart into other places you know into families or into hobbies or volunteer efforts or so forth and it was hard sometimes to get them to take a chance and reinvest not just their labor but their heart into the the newsroom i'm very proud to say that i'm lucky enough to work for a paper where more than 95% of the newsroom voted yes to unionize to throw their lot in together and and work as hard as we can to try to salvage what's left and and make a better future for not just the journalists but the people we serve in the lead up to the union election you and other journalists made a strong case to readers that supporting the union meant investing in the future of the newspaper in other words you linked workers' rights with the essential role that journalists play in a well-functioning democracy. Can you explain how those two concepts are connected? A lot of, especially the more seasoned, shall we say, uh, reporters, uh, we've, we've lived and worked in the communities that the Roanoke Times covers, some of us for decades. I mean, our longest serving reporter has been here for 40 odd years and we have a lot of 20, 25, 30, 35 year veterans. So we're deeply invested in the community. So to us, the journalism is a necessary part of living in a community. You know, if you don't know what's going on, if you don't know what the school board's doing, if you don't know why your taxes are going up, or if you don't know how your neighbor might be suffering because of the pandemic um, and being unemployed, if you don't know how state new state laws are affecting your community, you know you you are at a disadvantage when you go to the voting booth. You're at a disadvantage just trying to deal with local government. So I think all of us see. Uh, the importance every day because we are residents. So we understand how important the newspaper is to the infrastructure of the community. For me, that's a big part of the calling is to tell the stories that are important uh, in the community that people otherwise might not know. And I think many of my colleagues share that sense of purpose that it gives us to, to go to work every day. To form a union is really to come together and say, I'm gonna fight for you, you're gonna fight for me, and together we're gonna fight for all the people that we represent. And uh, to me, that's what it's about. What were some of your demands? The main two things that float to the top every time you talk to someone or send out a survey is, we need higher pay, some of us hadn't even had, hadn't had a raise in 11 years. And when you think about it, every year you don't get at least a cost of living increase. It's a pay cut. Meanwhile, your health insurance is going up and up and up. 
makes it harder and harder to to be able to focus on what is a very demanding profession because you worry, will I be able to pay all my bills next month? So pay raise is far and away the, the biggest concern. And then notice of layoffs. The big fear being a journalist and probably in most industries today is, will I have a job tomorrow? And if I don't, what will that mean for my mortgage or my rent? Uh, if, we, if you have kids, what will it mean for them? What will it mean for uh, my health care? Uh, that sort of thing. And that that can really uh, suck up a lot of mental energy. So those are the main things um, that float to the top for our membership. How long of a notice was the union demanding? Well, we're, we're hoping for 60 days. Uh, Lee Enterprises typically doesn't want to give more than two weeks notice. And their severance packages, another major concern of the membership, um, are pretty paltry compared to other industries. We're in the middle of negotiating a contract, and that could take up to a year. We just started in July sitting down with the company, so we're not exactly sure how long this process is going to take. But um, before we before we have a contract, just the standard Lee Enterprises severance is one week of pay for every year of service up to 18 weeks. So the most anyone could get if they are involuntarily separated from the company uh, would be 18 weeks of severance. Now, if you've worked for 35 or 40 years for the company, that is very paltry and, and in my view is, a, is an insult to the service that people have given to the paper and to the community. So we're, we're hoping to get a lot more than that. Um, we don't know where we'll end up. The thing about the, the pandemic, uh, there are a lot of ways that it's affected our unionization effort and no doubt the unionization efforts of other newspapers that have either started or are just beginning this process, is that the economy is, is tanking in a big way. And the company the company is suffering. I mean, it's, it's clear that um, the company is trying to hold on itself and we are also fighting for, hey, we need raises and we need you to cover more of the health insurance and so forth. And so it's an open question on how much leverage we'll have and, and how big a pie there will be uh, for us to get bigger slices of. Has being a part of the contract negotiations given you a better perspective into how many corporations, despite some economic constraints, could make money while still taking care of the needs of their workers? I'm thinking specifically about basic needs, like a living wage and decent health insurance. Well, I mean, we, we do, because we are journalists. We keep an eye on the SCC filings and um, executive pay and bonuses and so forth. And then we look at cuts. And uh, so Lee, Lee bought the company technically March 16th. And we'd been organizing for several months ahead of that. So we decided on March 17th would be the day that we notified the company that we were unionizing. So very soon after that notification, Lee announced furloughs company-wide related to the pandemic, but every person would have to take unpaid leave 
for two weeks, it amounted to about 15% of most people's pay that quarter. Uh, So they immediately cut. Now, we were lucky that the CARES Act provided some extra unemployment cushion and relaxed some of the restrictions. And so most of our members didn't see very much of a difference. A few did see a big difference in their pay packets (laughs) for those two weeks. But, uh, But for a lot of us, our salaries were low enough that uh, that pretty much covered our salary for those two weeks. So, but but it was a reminder to us that Lee is very much about. They have a specific number they need every operation to get to, and when they don't get to that number, they cut until they do. And the two things that are the most expensive in the newspaper business is paper and people. One of the big things that unionizing has offered us is that between. Um, the time we were certified in April, in other words, when we had our election before the National Labor Relations Board in April, and until we ratify our contract with the company, we're in what's called status quo. That's a legal status that we are in. That means that the company can't make any material changes to our working conditions without negotiating with the union first. And that gives us a chance to minimize impacts on people. So if they were to say, well, we need to lay off X number of people, they would have to come to us to negotiate about that first. And we would look at other ways that they could save and and try to work with them to come up with ideas, you know, standard things that we might proffer would be, okay, let's, let's do a round of voluntary buyouts first. So let's see if there are people who are ready to retire, that sort of thing. But it gives us some protection and some notification for our membership. Uh, so in a way, we're lucky that we did it when we did, uh, because now we're in status quo. And that's a better place to be during a pandemic <laughs> than not being unionized at all. Um, but we don't yet have a contract. And so, so there is still some uncertainty there. Did Lee Enterprises launch a campaign to bust the union? No, there wasn't, surprisingly. And uh, there was a moment there, one thing the pandemic did was, so we went public on March 17th, and then I think it was the next day, uh, the newspaper sent everyone home because of the pandemic and because of the governor, Governor Ralph Northam um, issued a shelter-in-place order. And so Lee couldn't even call (laughs) the standard sort of, mandatory meeting where they get everybody in a room and, and try to argue about why the union, why, why they shouldn't join a union and so forth. So they were kind of hobbled in that way, where we had already had all these months of organizing people and getting them together to do this. So that was good. But then we were in this uh, limbo where the National Labor Relations Board shut down operations because of the pandemic. And so we didn't know when we would be able to get an election scheduled to certify us as a bargaining unit for the newsroom. And we weren't sure if it was going to be weeks, months, years before we'd be able to be certified. The only thing Lee really did to resist the union uh, was uh, they refused to voluntarily recognize us. When uh, when a bargaining unit goes public that we have um, that 75, at least 75% of our members have signed union um, authorization cards that are then sent to the National Labor Relations Board. 
companies can at their discretion choose to voluntarily recognize the union. Then it becomes certified and they start to bargain their first contract. Lee refused to do that. Um, They were like, nope, we're not going to recognize you until you have an election. So we weren't sure when that was going to be. But we were lucky. We we only had to wait a couple weeks. The National Labor Relations Board uh, started running mail-in elections only rather than in person. Um, and so we were able to have our election and more than 95% of our newsroom voted yes. Um, so we really didn't see a whole lot of resistance from Lee, except they, they refused to voluntarily recognize us. But it didn't hold us back very much. We're just getting started with contract negotiations, so it's kind of hard to tell how, how much they'll work with us and how much they'll work against us in terms of what we want from a contract. But no, they didn't try to bust the union. But they did immediately tell us that they were going to lay off half of our copy desk, our copy and design desk, um, which was a plan. They, they gave us documentation that showed they'd been planning it for more than a year before we were certified. Um, and it is company-wide. Every newspaper that they bought from BH Media will eventually be transferred. Its design work will be transferred to, to Midwest Hubs. That's the plan where all the design will be done. And so roughly half, sometimes whole copy and or design desks are slated for um, layoff under Lee. So ours is one of them. 10 of our 20 people, 10 of our 20 members are already in jeopardy. So we're mounting an effort to try to save them and save all the other design and copy editing jobs in Virginia, but we'll see how far we get with that effort. Just a few months after you won the election, the union released a sharp rebuke about the paper's coverage of a wrongful termination suit involving a former employee. Talk about the union's response to the sexual harassment allegations and what you could accomplish with a collective voice that you couldn't before you were unionized? I think it's given people more courage because we stand up together to do these things. It's not a small group trying to do it. It's not one person trying to do it. Um, It's all of us together. And I will say that even though that was a very strong rebuke of editorial decisions made about covering um, the wrongful termination uh, lawsuit, um, which was brought based on sexual harassment allegations, Um, against a manager in our newsroom who still works there. Um, And and the suit was settled. So so no court has ruled on the validity of those claims, um, I will say. But but we disagreed with the way that it was handled. They also, uh, the company would not answer any detailed questions about how thoroughly they internally investigated the claims. Um, they would give us no details at all. We tried several times internally uh, to get details, um, and uh, they just wouldn't turn them. They, they wouldn't talk about it. They would just say we investigated it, and that's the end of it. And we didn't think that was good enough. We felt like it was a workplace safety issue uh, that people were still working uh, under this manager, and that they deserved to know if they were at any risk. Um, but the company still has not, uh, they still have not um, said that they will do uh, an investigation or explain to us even the detailed process for how investigations 
will be handled. Um, so that's disappointing. We also, as journalists, really disagreed with the way that the coverage of the suit was handled in ways that uh, those of us who've been at the paper for any time at all uh, know that we've covered other very similar suits at other companies in our region very differently. We haven't we, we haven't sanitized the details out of news stories um, about other companies the way we did about ourselves. And so we felt like uh, as journalists that that damaged our credibility in the community. We know it did. Many of us heard from readers and sources questioning what was going on. And um, so we felt like the journalists that we represent deserve to have someone stand up and say, look, we fought this and um, we were overruled. We disagree with it. We believe in, in the published standards and ethics of the run at times and we fight to uphold them. We just don't always win. Um, we felt like that was important for our readers to know. What response has the union received from the wider community? We are now, as, as you mentioned, we're trying to save our, our copy editors in Virginia at all the papers that Lee Enterprises has recently bought from BH. And we've received tremendous support. Um, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but I can get them for you. Um, we've, we started a, a petition and letter writing campaign and we've received hundreds, hundreds of letters of support and signatures of support. Um, and all this while we're in the middle of a pandemic and what looks like uh, it may shape up into a global Great Depression, um, people still care about the newspaper and about uh, the journalists and who serve them. And so it's, it's been uh, just amazing. And we hope to parlay that support into a plan uh, with the company to figure out a way to keep these people employed and to keep copy editing and design work local, as local as possible. Um, uh, a just graduated newspaper designer working in Muncie, Indiana, doesn't know anything about um, Roanoke, Virginia, much less Christiansburg, Virginia. And uh, the less institutional knowledge that the people who put our paper together have, the more likely there are to be errors and the less relevant um, the, the news selection will be to uh, the people it's supposed to inform. And we just don't see that as a sustainable business model. Um, I don't quite understand, and I think a lot of us are confused about how they're trying to run the business. It, 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 it's, it's impossible to cover local news from several states away. The more you move it away from its center, the less relevant it's going to become. The fewer readers you're going to have, the less money you're going to make. So we don't quite understand the calculus of this decision. And we're hoping that there's a way to reverse it and work with them to find ways that will help them meet their financial goals better and, and make us 
a more financially sustainable future for the paper. I mean, we're we're natural allies for the company. Um, people people often think unions are anti-company, and in in our case, I can say that is is not true. We want the company to thrive because when the company thrives, we thrive and and our communities are better informed and so have a better chance to thrive. And so we're all in it together and we hope that they'll be receptive to working with us to try to find a better way. Right now, in the midst of the deadly coronavirus pandemic, in which five and a half million Americans have been infected and 200,000 more have died, even as thousands of journalists are risking their lives every day to report the news to their communities. And Lee Enterprises announces that it will eliminate 10 workers at the newspaper. Can you tell me about the campaign to save the positions on the copy and design desks? I sure, I sure hope so. I mean, one thing, it's, it's been very odd for us as journalists wanting to give interviews <laughs> to other journalists. That's been supremely odd. Um, for me, but a real learning experience. I think I'm becoming a better journalist, um, having to give interviews. Uh, um, but uh, I, I hope it will help set a precedent for our sister papers to work with, try, try to work with an open hand um, towards the company and and understand the financial situation that they face, but also still be skeptical of, well, you know, if your CEO is still making a couple million dollars a year and uh, you're cutting your local copy editors, uh, how are you going to raise your subscription rates and keep funding that salary, that big corporate salary? Um, Let us help you figure out how to better serve this community so the community will buy our product. Right. Um, so we, we are hopeful that we can set a good example for guilds uh, that are facing the same issues we are. We've reached out to our regional economic development professionals because, uh, let's face it, journalists report news. And while we know some about business and so forth, we are not an insider. We're not inside that world. And they know so much more about how to to formulate plans and what companies need. And so we've been really lucky that we have economic development people in our region um, who were willing to take some of our ideas and, and help us work towards a proposal for the company to save these jobs. And we don't know exactly how many it is because the company won't tell us uh, how many total jobs they plan to cut at all of the Virginia papers they own, but we we estimate it's somewhere around 40. Um, and we, of course, want to keep those jobs uh, here in the state. And that's at unionized papers and non-unionized papers. We, we want to save them all. So we're working on behalf of all of them. Um, we know that a copy editor at a non-unionized paper in Virginia um, is going to have a really hard time uh, fighting getting laid off. And so we feel like we can use the strength we've gained by coming together to benefit 
them. Um, so we're, we're working hard to do that. So we're trying not only to save the 10 Roanoke Times copy editors, we're hoping to work with the company to come up with a plan that would save the copy desks and design, de design professionals at every one of the lead papers in Virginia and maybe other states. Do you think the Times Land News Guild could serve as a model for other struggling publications, not only to bring justice in the workplace, but to transform and renew local news reporting? So what I've started to see is how interdependent we all are on each other. I mean, we should know that right as journalists that we go out as a reporter, say, I'm a reporter, so I look at it from that viewpoint, and I make calls and I go out and I interview sources and I may do some video and I may live tweet something. I come back, I write a story. Um, uh, but traveling with me is the photographer who's trying to tell the visual story. Um, and, and we have to work together, uh, to do that. And, uh, and then it, it goes to a designer, uh, and a copy editor. And I mean, there are all these layers of people required to put together a paper and then it has to go off and be printed and then it has to be trucked to where it's going and then the 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 circulation people pick it up and and they have to deliver it to every different subscriber and it's this highly interdependent um, industry and profession and yet we are all uh, in normal circumstances very much locked in our own little rooms my job is to go out and do the reporting and then I come back and I write it and I'm usually doing the writing and stuff alone. Um, so yeah, it's really hard, <laughs> you know, to work with other people when you mostly work by yourself, even though you know in your mind that you are theoretically interdependent with all these people, you can kind of ignore them while you do your thing. But you can't do that when you have a union, and that's really the hardest part. Um, it can be exhausting trying to reach out constantly to 50 people and try to get them involved and get their, you know, figure out what their wants and needs are and, you know, take the time for everybody to listen to each other. And sometimes we get snippy with each other, especially those of us who are on the different leadership teams and subcommittees and stuff. You know, I feel bad. I, 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 was mean to one of my committees a few days ago and I had to go around do an apology tour. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's very stressful um, to try to uh, develop deeper relationships with people, but it is so worthwhile. You know, when I, our communications uh, director, our communications vice chair uh, does, has started doing a, a bi-weekly newsletter sort of all the little tidbits about what we're talking about in contract negotiations and what we're doing for, we call it desk defense is sort of our shorthand for our effort to save the copy desks and, uh, and design desks uh, and, and, and what's going on, you know, what the, your stewards are going to be telling you about and so forth. Um, when I look, when we combine all the efforts and all the people who come together and serve on these committees, do do tasks large and small, how many people are involved and how we're all working together. Um, 
even though we come from different departments and we have different that, you know, some of us are designers, some of us put ads on pages, some of us are reporters, some of us are photographers. Um, but we're all coming together in service of these common goals. And it's basically to support each other and to support our communities. And that's, it's just a, such an amazing transformative thing. And it's very humbling too. It's also a little scary because, you know, they, they made me chair and I tried to say, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't make me chair. One, one of the younger people needs to be the chair but they convinced me to do it and it's such an awesome responsibility and i mean awesome in the old sense of it's huge and it makes you feel very small and it makes you feel a little bit scared um because the contract we hope to uh ratify uh that that will define our relationship to the company for the next three to five years could potentially be life-changing for some of our members. You know, if we, if we get decent pay rises for, for those who've been held way below the pay they should have, who could maybe, you know, afford things for their families that they haven't been able to afford for years. I mean, it just, and, and to just give a sense of security and a sense of camaraderie when we can eventually all come back to the office together, hopefully, um, you, you know, just the thought of what we could do and then the stakes if we aren't able to make it happen. And, and what do I need to do? I just keep asking myself every day, every night, in the shower, whatever, what, what do I need to be doing? to make the best outcome possible and and who do I need to support and who do I need to encourage to get involved and it's a privilege but it's also damned hard and I don't always feel like I'm doing the best job. Journalism is often highly competitive and individualistic. How has the collective act of forming a labor union changed you as a journalist? Has the union struggle changed you as a person as well? And in what ways? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what kind of person and journalist I'll be at the end of my two-year term. Um, I'm hoping that uh, we're able to do good for each other and that I'm able to be part of that and that I'm able to hand off a stable organization um, to the next leader. But mostly I'm, I'm hoping you know, we can keep our newspaper alive in whatever form it takes in the future because a lot of people out in the community depend on us to tell their stories and to keep them informed. And if we come to a point where we can't really effectively do that anymore, everyone around me is going to suffer. As a native Southerner, did you have any previous experience with unions? Do you think the Times Land News Guild has implications for other journalists in the South, historically the most anti-union region in the country? <laughs> Are you kidding? I grew up in Galax, Virginia, right on the North Carolina border, up in the Appalachian Mountains, um, in, you know, a red 
red, 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 little tiny city of 6,000 people in, uh, you know, a very red part of the state uh, where I had never heard the word union mentioned except once when I was really tiny. I think there was some effort in the factory, in the furniture factories. There used to be, I don't know, at least a half a dozen furniture factories operating in Galax when I was a little kid and um, both my parents, one of my dad still works at the last standing furniture factory in Galax and he's, he's past 70 now and plans to retire later this year. But my mother worked there and um, you know, all my, all my friends had a parent or a family member who worked in the furniture factories. And there was apparently some very short-lived union effort, but it was very quickly extinguished. Um, actually, I was telling my dad the other day, I was talking to him, and he was saying something about, um, I think it was overtime. He didn't want to have to, to work mandatory overtime anymore. He's too old and it hurt his feet to stand up that long. And uh, I said, well, you need to get yourself a union, Dad. And he was like, there'll never be a union in Galax. And I was like, well, that's what they said about the run of times, too. And now I run the union there. (laughs) And he was quiet on the other end. Um, So, you know, I didn't have much experience with unions uh, growing up and I think it is very surprising that that newspapers in the South are starting to look towards unionizing, unionization and are starting to unionize. And I'm no expert in why, but, uh, you know, the, the economy is so precarious and, uh, and yet Wall Street still does so well. And I think a lot of people are starting to see a real disconnect between those two things. And they're starting to wonder, what, what can I do about that? And, you know, maybe maybe joining together with your coworkers and fighting for fairer pay is one thing that we can do. Tanya Moxley is a 20-year veteran reporter at the Roanoke Times and the chair of the Times Land News Guild. Music for Southern Discomfort was recorded by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jonathan Michaels.